Well, good morning. Uh, good to see you guys again. I feel like I haven't seen you in a while. Um, that three minutes was a long time. It's good to see you this morning so much. Uh, thank you for being here today and being a part of Student Invasion. And really quick, if you care, let me tell you why we went with Student Invasion rather than like Youth Sunday. Uh, because it is our intention this entire week to invade the services today uh, and this community for the entire week with the students of the riot and what God is calling them to do. So today we're taking over the services. Uh, can we give it up for the band and for the dance team? Awesome. Awesome. Monday night I'm taking a group of students to go see Hillsong United in Greensboro. Thursday we're doing the same exact thing at the Goldsburg campus and then this Saturday a big chunk of us will be partnering with PAMA and local churches in the Princeton area to wrap our arms around Princeton and love on them and serve them. So we're going to come have church in here today and then go be the church the rest of the week. And I'm pretty excited about that. So thank you for not only being here today, but supporting the student ministry of this church. Uh, I'm blessed. We are blessed. Sure, we have our hiccups and there's things we wish we could do differently or, or have. But let me just tell you, your generosity has allowed us to do things that other churches in this area foam at the mouth and wish they could do. And I thank you for that. We don't take it lightly. We don't take what we have for granted. And I just want to tell you before I preach a word today that we genuinely say thank you for what you do for this church. And not just saying you support youth and kids, but following up that action by giving of your time and your money and your talents. Thank you so much. I think that's kind of what Jesus asked us to do, right? And you do that. Thank you so much. Um, as on staff here, you know, we're all communicators on staff, whether we're here talking to you on the stage or whether we print something that you're holding in your hand this morning. We're all communicating a message to you. And as a communicator, it is my job and our job to connect the heartbeat of this church to the heartbeat of God. My role specifically here is the student pastor of this church, and so I get the opportunity this morning, just for a few moments, uh, to tell you what I believe God is positioning our church to do, not only in regards to the youth at this church, but the community around us as well. I came on staff here at the bridge in 2010 as the middle school pastor originally. Now I get to do high school as well, and I've learned a few things over this three and a half years. Uh, one of the most overwhelming themes that I've learned is that God doesn't need me nearly as much as I need him. And that's so true, right? The other thing that I've learned pretty quickly is that you don't play dodgeball with the lights out. That don't ever work out real well. Sounds awesome uh, until someone gets their nose broke. It's always fun in games until that happens. But when I took this position in 2010, I honestly thought, if you would have asked me, Josh, what do you think 90% of your job will be? I would have told you flat out, preaching. Preaching. That's all I got to do is just preach. All preachers do, we need it, right? All pastors do is just preach on Sundays. So that's what I thought I had to do. And every early meeting with Pastor Fred, I remember, Pastor, tell me, show me your wisdom. Impart into me your delivery. Show me how to come up with three points and this overall main topic that I can leave with the people. When I studied and I listened to podcasts and everything was about me trying to craft this perfect message. You guys have seen those pictures on 
Facebook float around, right? The, uh, this is what the church thinks I do. This is what my wife thinks I do. But this is what I actually do, right? And I've realized that preaching is not 90%. If 10% of what I have to do on the reg, that's regular for some of you older people. Preaching is like 10%. And then I discovered that 90% of the students don't do what I say anyway. And why are y'all laughing? Y'all don't listen to Pastor Farrell either. <laughs> does the Word of God change lives? Of course it does. That's why we're here this morning, to hear from the Word of God. Only God can change lives. So, of course, we believe that. But what I've come to understand is that it's way more about being than doing. It's way more important to be present than it is to be cool. I'm not cool. Students, I know this is a, a shocker to you. I am not cool. Okay, I don't have fresh, I don't have swag, right? I've never been that guy. I was the kid in middle school with the long hair, blonde highlights, and the white seashell necklace, okay? I tried really hard to be cool. This is a conversation me and my wife have all the time. I am not cool. I'm not smooth. I can tell you story after story when I purposely tried to play it cool, and it has backfired so bad on me. It's way more important to be present to being cool. Listen, I try to be cool, guys. You let me tell you, let me be honest with you. The most anxiety-filled moment of my week is when I go to a high school. I stress more about what I have to wear going to a high school. I'm 25 years old. I have three, I'm about to have three kids. I, I stress more about what I wear going to eat lunch or to an SCA with one of these guys than I do anything else part of my job. It's like all of a sudden that middle school anxiety rushes over me and that blonde chick that everyone is obsessed with walks through the cafeteria. You know what I mean? It's those kind of moments I'm like, oh, I just get anxiety because I want to be cool. But it's not about being cool. It's about being present in that moment, listening, being present in the highs and the lows of their lives. And I'm just going to be up front with them. I'm going to tell you what... I want to talk about this morning so you don't feel like I tricked you at the end. Obviously, I'm going to talk about serving. You already got a card in your seat. But we're not just here to talk about serving. Although serving is a very big part of who we are as a church and what we do. I just want to go ahead and be up front and just tell you, I believe and the staff believes that this church has been positioned and equipped with the resources to flip this community upside down. Listen, people can talk all day long about the negative sides of big church. People have their reasons for not liking it or whatever. Here's what simply, just here's what I believe. A big church can make a big difference is what I believe. And I believe that God has put us in this community right between Wayne and Johnston County. Just for participation, how many of you live in Wayne County? Can you just raise your hand? All right, a lot of Wayne Counters this morning. How about Johnston County? Awesome. Anyone non Wayne or Johnson, a couple of you. Awesome. Duplin, awesome. God has positioned us in a central location to make a big difference in Wayne County, in Johnston County, even Duplin County. God has positioned us to do this. And in regards to youth, I don't really want to waste your time reading statistics because we tend to go, oh man, 
and then we don't do anything about it. Or we just judge it and turn our nose up at it and scoff at it. Or we do the churchy thing and say, oh, we got to pray for that. Which is vital. But I don't believe for one second that Jesus died so the church could just pray about it. Believe he died so the church could go and change the situation, change the community, change the world. And this morning, I'd like to share with you a quick excerpt with you from the greatest love story ever written. Before we do that, I want to pray for us this morning. Would you join me? God, again, we come to you this morning and thankful, God, that we're here today. The freedom to come in and lift our hands, close our eyes, to pray, to read your word. Lord, be with us over these next 15, 20 minutes. God, move me out the way. Let the people see you. Communicate through me, God, effectively and efficiently to compel our hearts to do what you've called us to do. And in your name I pray. Amen. All right. So you guys should probably quote this verse with your eyes closed and two hands behind your back. John 3, 16. It says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone... Now, in the Greek, when you break that down, everyone means everyone. Who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And in Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I remember when I was dating Brooke. Before we started dating and we were just talking I was in transition from moving from Wilmington back home. So our very first date was in a restaurant in Wilmington, and we had several uh, key first few dates in Wilmington because I knew how to manipulate the environment of Wilmington to make her feel affectionately towards me. You know, the sunset, the beach, all that stuff. I knew how to use that to my advantage. So we took a few dates there. And if you've ever been to Fort Fisher, then you know there's one particular landmark there with the rocks up on the shoreline. It's, it's beautiful. You can sit right there on them. Um, illegally, you can sit there on them and watch the sun go down. The waves come up and splash you all in the face. It's, it's awesome. She told me, Josh, if we ever get engaged, this is the spot. This is where you get down on one knee and you ask me to be betrothed to you forever and ever. This is it, right? So the day came when I decided that she is the one. After the first date, I knew that. Um, she's not here this morning, so I can see I can say that and get away with it. Um, she'll be here in second service. But uh, I saw this is the day. This is the day. So I pick her up. We drive all the way to Wilmington. She's just glowing. She knows. You know, she just got that giddy look on her face. I take her to Airly Gardens. Any of you ladies like Airly Gardens? Beautiful. We're observing nature, flowers, trees. Beautiful. Then I take her down to the rocks by Fort Fisher, and we're just sitting there. The sun setting, you know, John Mayer's playing in the background, you know, it's, it's a perfect moment. And then I get up, and we get in the car, and we go home. I didn't make it back into Wilmington. We were in Carolina Beach. I didn't make it back into Wilmington, and all of a sudden, <laughs> what's wrong with me? I was like, what are you talking about? 
She goes, I told you if you ever wanted to ask me to marry you that that was the perfect date. And everything was perfect. And it must be me because you didn't ask me. And it worked out perfect because the next night I took her back to Johnny Mercer and asked her to marry me on the beach. But I remember that moment down on my knee. And the only thing I ever really sacrificed to be with her is the fact that I would never win another argument. It's the only thing I'd sacrifice. <laughs> but when she said yes, when she confessed that I love you and I will be your wife forever, that's all it took. That's all it took. And Jesus proposed to every single one of us on the cross all it takes for you to acknowledge that, to confess it, and say yes, to be his bride. And I am a firm believer that God moved heaven and earth to redeem humanity. The Old Testament is just a repetitive story, time after time, of us, the people, screwing it up. Can I say that? Screwing it up. And then God saving the day. Until he sent the ultimate solution in that of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. In fact, the significance of the sacrifice should show you and reveal to you how precious you are to the Father. Jesus moved heaven and earth to rescue and redeem humanity. And so it may take you getting out of your seat. To change the situation. It may just perhaps, if the, the creator of the universe had to move heaven and earth to redeem us, it may require you and I to get up off our couch, close the laptop on Facebook and stop complaining about it and then get out and do something about it. That's what the church is called to do. And so there's a specific account in Mark where it shows that Jesus stepped out of heaven. He came from the highest place to go after the lowest. Hey, one second. There we go. And in Mark chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it will be on the screen. We see that Jesus came from the highest to go after who we deem the lowest a lot of times because of their age, teenagers and youth. And we're going to read real quick the high priority that Jesus placed on youth. Probably you've read the story before in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Jesus has been on the scene for a few chapters now, right? He's doing his thing. He just fed the 5,000. He's doing miracles, casting out demons. He's being Jesus, right? The people are obsessed with Jesus. They want to come meet him. They're doing whatever they can to get to him. And in verse 13 it says, The people were bringing little children to Jesus for him, to place his hands on them. But the disciples said, we ain't got time for that. In verse 14, Jesus saw this and rebuked them and said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And that's a different sermon for a different day, but focus on verse 16, if you would. He took the children in his arms placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Now all throughout the Gospels, people weren't necessarily attracted because of what Jesus was saying. 
In fact, oftentimes when he talked, they left. People were initially attracted to Jesus because of what he was doing, because of his touch. Look at the, we know the story of the woman with the issue of blood who only desired to touch the hem of his garment. There was a high value placed on the touch of Jesus. And what we see is that Jesus stopped what he was doing. This man had just fed 5,000 people. He's teaching, preaching, casting out demons, healing people, making the blind see, making the lame walk, and he stopped to pick up the children and touch them and bless them because they were of high priority to him. He moved heaven and earth to reach the youth because they were of high priority to him. The last thing I want to mention is Jesus was in fact a mentor. He took 12 ordinary guys, uneducated, some of them hated in some cases. He changed their life by pouring himself into them. He had his 12. And through changing their life, they in turn changed the community and changed the world. God used them to start the movement of the church. In fact, in Acts 4, 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. God moved heaven and earth to redeem humanity so it may take us to get out of our seat to change the area around us. Jesus put a high priority on youth, and Jesus was, in fact, a mentor. I don't know about you, but I tend to do whatever a guy that raises from the dead, I tend to do whatever he says. Whatever he did is probably a good idea for me to do that too. Because I've never met anyone that was dead and then got back up. Ever. And I hope I never do. I tend to do what Jesus said. And if you ask me, Josh, where do you feel like the bridge is positioned to make a difference? Well, let's start with this. If you're a parent in this room... There. We're here to help you and support you and surround you and be a part of your child's life. But I think you know this, that you're the primary discipler of your child. And let me mention this, and I'll mention this again at the end. Uh, we started something with the, the Riot Student Ministry a few months ago where um, basically we've taken uh, a parent class online. And learning how to lead our children in the homes. A lot of the parents who are already involved in that love it. And it's given them material. A lot of them had the desire to do it but didn't have the material. And it's given them the material and the tools to lead uh, their children and help them develop their own faith. And if you're interested in that, I can 
get with you after the service. But it is primarily your job to do that. If you're in this church this morning, this room, and you call the bridge your home, it is your responsibility, our responsibility as a church to support, encourage, lift up, impart, and raise up the children and students of the bridge. To help them develop their own faith, to help them grow and mature. I think Jesus said it in a way of making disciples. We've been charged to do that. Maybe you're looking a little bit more, uh, a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more investment. Well, we have a student ministry here. We have great ministries across the board, Impact Girls Ministry, Royal Rangers, Bridge Kids, who people give their life, really, to set aside and sacrifice to pour into these teens and these children. And at the very end, I'm going to talk about how to get plugged in and all that, but the one thing I want to hit on just for a few minutes it won't take long, is if I could communicate to you my deepest desire for our church to move, it would be in the area of mentoring, specifically the overwhelming amount of students without a father or just a single parent. Just share with you a few stats. I said I wasn't going to do that, but I feel like I need to in this specific moment. Fatherlessness is more than a personal tragedy. It is a growing epidemic. It is the driving force behind gangs, teenage pregnancy, drug abuse, and suicide. And oftentimes, the fatherless are either marginalized or ignored. 63%. And these next few stats I'm going to give you are all directly tied into students without a father. 63% of youth suicides, 71% of pregnant teens, 90% of all homeless and runaway children, 70% of juveniles in state operated institutions, 85% of all youth who exhibit behavior disorders. 80% of rapists motivated with displaced anger. 71% of high school dropouts. 75% of all adolescents in chemical abuse centers. 85% of teenagers sitting in prison or 85% of those sitting in prison in general. One of the easiest things to do is to get on Facebook and comment about society and the, the hate that we have for the direction that it's going in. And then the easiest thing to do is just to close the laptop and go to bed and not do anything else about it. I'm just going to be real with you. I understand that there's moments that you have a hard time looking past your situation. There's moments when you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay the light bill, how you're going to keep your job, how you're going to get the kids to soccer practice. There's different stories, different situations, and all those are sincere. I'm not knocking that at all. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. 
But the call of Jesus is all about looking past what you're dealing with and what you're going through and your life, your selfish inward point. And looking beyond that and how you can help others. And the people coming around you to help you get through what you're going through. And I guess what I'm trying to say is I can talk about mentoring and and the different problems that it causes. And then a lot of us are just going to say, you know what, well, I've got this going on and I don't have time. And and, and we can come up with excuses. I'm asking you just for a moment, would you consider looking past your own life just for a moment? Consider what it would look like. If we're so upset with what's going on around us that we take the model of Jesus because he did whatever it took to rescue us. What if we did whatever it took to rescue this generation? Instead of just talking about it and turning our nose up at it, what if we did whatever it took to do that? Jesus placed a high priority on youth. What would it look like if his body, his church did the same? Jesus, if anyone could do his own thing and get it done, it would be Jesus. But if he felt it necessary to find a supporting cast and mentor them so they would succeed in life, well, maybe us as men and women, maybe we should follow suit if Jesus thought it was high enough priority. In fact, every child and student has a great God-given potential. The potential to succeed, to create, to contribute, to build a family and leave a positive legacy. With the intervention of caring mentors, the fatherless children often miss out on their God-given potential and end up becoming another negative statistic. I believe in these closing moments that right now we as the bridge have an opportunity, a critical moment of importance and tremendous opportunity. I want to show you one last verse. In Matthew 18, verse 6. Jesus, talking with his disciples, says, if anyone calls us one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble and sin, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck, and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. His language is pretty extreme. It's very heartfelt. And I think for a long time, the church has been kind of guilty of acknowledging the problem, but then ignoring the problem. It's kind of like the dishes in the sink. You know, you got to wash them, but if you think one day you just kind of walk past them, that maybe they'll get washed. Right? God, please, will you send angels down to wash these dishes? And then the next day you come and they're still there and now some flies are starting to gather. This doesn't happen at my house. I'm just saying. I'm figuratively thinking out loud. And the next day you come and it just gets, starts to stink and it gets rotten and it just gets worse. It never gets any better. And I think, honestly, I believe that remaining silent and uninvolved is neglect. And the more we neglect the problem and act like it's not there or act like somebody else is going to fix it, the larger it's going to get. And listen, 
a lot of us as the church have a problem with the way the world does things. So let's agree not to wait for the world to step up and fix it. Because then we're not going to like how they fix it. Let's step in as this church and do some things to change the community around us. Real quick, five more minutes and you'll be out of here. A couple different ways you can help do this. The bridge has an awesome reputation with partnering with local organizations, and I love that, and local churches. There is an organization right now, a nonprofit called Communities in Schools, CIS for short, who have placed graduation coaches in several different schools around the county. Specifically, a, a huge one, and probably the closest one to us that's in, in, is in dire need is Goldsboro High School, and even more so Dillard Middle School. These students at Goldsboro will not graduate if they don't complete their senior projects. So we can fuss and gripe about the education and about government, um, the government helping, um, you know, Medicaid and, and food stamps and all this. And then we can get mad about how people don't want to work and people don't want to further that. You have the opportunity to change that right now. Helping someone graduate, progressing their life, whether they realize how vital it is or not, being there for them, helping them progress to graduate high school, maybe even get enrolled in college or at least get a job. We have the opportunity right now. CIS is asking for 50. They need more than that. They're asking for 50 mentors to give one hour a week for six months. From January to June, that's the second semester. One hour a week, you show up, goes for high school, Dillard Middle, Southern Wayne is another one, uh, Mount Olive Middle is another one, Brogdon Elementary is another, or Brogdon Middle. I don't know where you live at specifically, but Triple S, if you live in Johnson County, Triple S is a huge need. But they're asking for 50 people who will stand up, give one hour a week, you don't have to be a math teacher. You can be, I, I hate math. Sorry, Mrs. Kelly, I know you're in here. <laughs> hate it. It is the spawn of Satan, I'm sure of it. <laughs> and we have the opportunity just to go in. As, it's not about the knowledge. It's about being there. They don't have the support. They don't have a mom and dad waiting for them, not only just not to help them, but to make them do it. And if they do have a parent, they're not involved in a lot of cases. They're just not invested. They're strung out on the couch. One of the most heartbreaking stories I heard last year was a young man who I met through the football team. I won't name the school. I met through the football team. We were doing Bible study with him. Awesome young man, full of potential. He went home for about a week straight, and there was no food in the house. He's got younger siblings. Dad's in prison. Mom strung out. She got a check in the mail. She took the check, cashed it, and went and bought drugs. No food in the house. They're looking at him saying, what are we going to eat? So he goes and he robs the convenience store to get money so he can go to the grocery store to buy food for his brothers and his sisters. And now he's in prison. 
we see the headline on Facebook and say, I can't believe he did that. I'm not justifying him stealing from the store, but do you see the story there? That if, we had, if he had one of us in his life, then that may not would have happened. If we had a mentor in his life, he, it may not would have happened. He could have changed his life forever. Now his life is changed in a totally different direction. I'm asking for one week, one hour a week for six months. And maybe you're in here and that's what we're doing. At-risk students is a big target. And the second target is teenage moms. We want to adopt these moms, so to speak, be with them, mentor them, love on them, bless them. The biggest thing is to make sure they don't give up on their life. Because they have a child now. Because 90% of the girls you meet in high school around this area do just that. Does that mean that we excuse the sin? Certainly not. Does that mean that we point fingers and judge her? Certainly not. You're here in this building probably because you were accepted just as you were. That's what we want to do for them. Just as they were. So when you leave here in just a moment, out to your right, there's a table there that says riot. It says the red project. That's what we're calling this, the red project project to go after these at-risk students and these teenage moms. And if you're interested in that, you can sign up. And on December 15th, there will be an informational meeting in the Carpenter's House at 6 p.m. It's a Sunday, December 15th. The plan is to get our people together, get them, get, go through some training, get you equipped, and then release you for six months into the school system. And the last thing I'll say is if you have that card in your seat, there are students here right now that are waiting for you to be the presence in their life that they need. We have about 140 students total. We have about 30 volunteers. I would love to see that ratio close down a little bit. Two to three students per, vol per volunteer, that would be phenomenal. Because you know what? I certainly can't be involved in all their lives. And that gets me in trouble a lot of times because I'm not always there or I don't always have the time. So it gets me in trouble a lot of times. The volunteers we have, they certainly can't be involved in all their lives. Our mission at the bridge is not to just fill seats. And I'm, I'm frankly, I'm tired of seeing students come through the door and then leave the door, never going noticed, never feeling accepted, never feeling invested. And it's not because we're not trying, it's because we need more people. I'm just going to be frank with you. I'll leave you with this. Like Jesus' word says, I mean, he takes a high priority on youth. We've been positioned, you've been positioned to change the statistic. You've been positioned and equipped to change the generation. So let's agree to stop just talking about it and ignoring it. Let's roll those sleeves up a little bit and get involved. Let's pray.
Jesus, it's my prayer this morning. That if there's somebody in this room that has felt that urge to get involved, not just in student ministry, but just involved in ministry. Maybe for whatever reason they haven't done that. Maybe they haven't felt that they were ready or they were equipped or they knew, knew how to do it. Lord, we look no further than the story of your disciples, uneducated, ordinary men that you called, poured your life to, into, and they changed the world. God, I believe there's people in this room right now that would just take this step and get involved. Lord, you have so many plans for them. You're going to use them in such an incredible way. And I can tell you, God, there's nothing more joyous and satisfying than being a small part of your plan when you see a life go from death into life. Lord, I pray you would use this church, you would move this congregation, this body to change the statistic, to rewrite the story. Lord, we love you so much. Thankful for who you are in our life and what you're doing. It's in your name I pray. Amen.